0: Yeah. Welcome to Diffuse Congruence. This is episode 9 of the American Muslim Experience. My name is Zaki Hassan, and I'm joined this episode, as always, by my good friend Pervez Ahmed. And we know that this episode is a little bit late, but I think you'll agree that the delay was worth it. We have a fantastic guest. And uh, We're going to go ahead and play that. We actually had a conversation last week with Mustafa Davis. He is a celebrated photographer, filmmaker. He's also co-founder of Thought Leaf Collective, which is based in the Bay Area, and also in Chicago, about uh, all manner of things we talked about his american muslim experience we talked about how he came to islam what he's learned during his time as a muslim what he's learned during his time as an artist and i think you'll agree that it was a fantastic conversation so i'm just going to go ahead and cut right to the chat that we had last week with mustafa davis
1: so Sidi Mustafa, thank you for joining us we're honored to have you with us we've been no. we've been uh, wanting to have you on for a while so we're glad we could make it happen so, that's a pleasure uh, so, so uh, the purpose of the show is really uh, the American Muslim experience, and I think you have a quintessentially American Muslim experience, <laughs> so um, I was hoping you could just start things off by kind of telling us about uh, your journey to mm-hmm. Islam, and maybe where you were at before you found Islam. Sure. Uh, how far back shall I go? How, as far <laughs> back as you feel
2: comfortable. That's right. Uh, I'll go back, you know, because I think the upbringing has a lot to do with my choice to become Muslim, so I think it's it's important. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, my my father's black American. My mother's uh, first generation German. Uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, I'm the only child that they had. My mother was married three times, and I'm the only one from from my father. So essentially, I am. The Arnold or the Webster of my of my family for uh, it's, it's it's different strokes, you know. Uh, yeah, that's a reference. I wonder how many in our listening
3: audience will catch. I'm dating like, myself, we enjoy. Of no, but the host enjoys, so that's great. Uh,
2: <laughs> photos at my mom's house. You know, it's you know, and I was darker when I was younger too. I really, I started to get a little bit lighter when I was like 16, 17 years old. But I was I was dark, you know, big afro, and so it's like all these, you know, that's why I mentioned like her complexion, right? Like all my siblings because mm. her. Other marriages were also to white white men as well, and so all my siblings are blonde hair and blue eyes, mm-hmm. and then there's me, mm-hmm. like in the in the photos, uh, and it, it's important because it it you know some of these things that I dealt with with identity issues mm-hmm. growing up uh, were part of the reason why I think I was kind of led to the path of, of, of Islam. You know, when, you know, my parents when they got married, they divorced when I was two, but when they got married uh, in in seventy one, uh, we're not very far post-civil rights, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King right. era. And so my dad tells me stories of them trying to find apartments and going together and being denied. Right. And that's here in the Bay Area. It, it was in it was right. Mountain View and in, in Santa Clara and being denied. Right. And then my mother going the next day uh, on her own uh, to a different apartment complex, and then being accepted uh, immediately, right. and so there was still some racial tension oh, yeah. uh, back then.
3: And there'd be several places, several states in the in the union where their marriage wouldn't have been, even been recognized, exactly, even as late as seventy one,
2: exactly. Yeah. So, so I grew up with 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 that. You know, they, you know, it was typical. And then it's interesting that Zachy like said I had the quintessential American experience, because uh, in my mind that triggers you just grew up in a broken home. Mm. That's that to me that's the quintessential mm. American experience you know so when you say that, that you know I'm the quintessential American then yeah of course you know I'm, a lot of my friends that grew up with Their parents oh, yeah, were divorced right. you know or they had they had issues uh, when they were growing up uh, to my to my folks credit uh, a lot of the issues that we' and I'm saying this as sort of as a disclaimer because I'll probably I have a tendency to be quite candid about my experience right and so I'm saying this yeah. too, as a, as a disclaimer to their credit they are you know having kids you know post vietnam you know california bay area hippie movement you know sex love drugs and rock and roll and so they were still trying to find themselves as as well and i can say that now as a 41 year old male i wouldn't have said the same thing as a 16 year old you know punk teenager this rage against the machine angry at your parents (laughs) uh, type thing so they split at two uh we moved to sacramento with my mother uh, and I grew up in, in Sacramento Sacramento. You were born here. In the I was born, Bay, born in huh? the Bay Area, yeah. And I'm, I make sure to I, I claim that as That's much right. as I, as, nice. as much as I can.
4: Yeah.
2: Uh, I was born in the Bay, and then we moved to Sacramento gotcha. at two. Uh, not a religious family. Right. Uh, my father would consider himself an atheist. Mm. Uh, it's hard for me to say that because I don't believe in atheism. Uh, but at the time when I was a teenager, before I converted to Islam, I was also considered myself an atheist. I didn't believe in, in a higher power. Uh, My mother is uh, Catholic, uh, but I wouldn't say a practicing uh, Catholic when we were growing up. We went to church on some Sundays, Mm. um, but then, you know, maybe there was a party at the house on Sunday night that, you know, completely (laughs) overrode everything that we did at church that day. Um, My parents are still friends. Uh, They're still close. So I didn't have that, you know, dad saying mom's horrible, mom saying dad's horrible. Uh, they're, They're still close to this day. So early, early childhood, I dealt with issues of being sort of an outsider in my own home. Mm. Uh, never really feeling like I belonged to the family that I was, that I was growing up in. Uh, and that's important because it, I think I lashed out because of it, like a lot of American uh, kids do. Uh, and growing up in Sacramento, it's sort of like a farm town Man, of sorts. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot to do. And so, because of that, as a result, there's a lot of gang violence and a lot of a lot of crime. And so, I never was in a gang, but I grew up in a gang, heavy gang area in Lincoln Village, California, in Rancho Cordova, in Sacramento, in Lincoln Village. Um, friends, my, all my friends were in gangs, uh, but I, I wasn't. I always, you know, I tell people now, I was sort of like, I forget his name in the film, too. I think his name was Trey in, in Boys in the Hood, mm-hmm. where I had a dad who was like, you know, he has a double degree, you know, mm-hmm. professional... Uh, very articulate yeah. uh, and always emphasized education. Education. Right. Lawrence so Fishburne's of, character. Lawrence Fishburne's yeah, character. Yeah, 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 stay out of trouble. Right. Very, very similar. Same things. When I wanted to go in the military, yeah. military is not a place for a young black man. He's a Vietnam vet, you know, and so he's like, military is yeah, yeah, not yeah. a place for a young black man. Um, and so I had that sort of whatever troubles I went through in my childhood, I always had sort of this hero figure that I would visit once a month. That kind of kept me, yeah. kept me, in, kept me in line. Um, and so. When I was going through the issues, the identity issues that I was going through in Sacramento, uh, I always wanted to be someone different, uh, and that's really just honest. You know, I just I wanted to be someone other than I was. Even my name, like like when you convert to Islam and they say it's you know you got to change your name, for me it was like awesome. Give me the list, let me choose. Right, it wasn't like this forceful thing for me. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because <laughs> where I grew up, uh, the star high school quarterback of a of a rival school rancho cordova high school was the name was brian davis and so i was like the less cool brian davis <laughs> growing up <laughs> and so so when they told me you can change your name yeah. i was like oh, that's it that's it i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna change my name so typical you know fast forward typical you know quintessential american upbringing mm. uh, issues with you know authority mm. Uh, I did really well in elementary school, straight A's, junior high school, straight A's, high school, freshman year c's sophomore year d's junior year, straight F's mm. <laughs> so you could see where that right. where that that went and a lot of that was just again the crowd that I was running with uh, and then getting mixed up with alcohol and and drugs mm. and things like that kind of led me off off the path and so that's sort of where i was uh up until 16 when i moved back to to san jose so you were still in high school i was still in high school when okay. i moved back yeah and i didn't actually move back i was kicked out i got kicked out of high school and it was the third high school that i got kicked out of right and mom was like that's it you know i just can't i can't do it anymore you got to go back to your dad's and so then i came back to to san jose and finished mm-hmm. high school here in, in east san jose at yerba Buena high school
3: mm. wow so then uh that brings us, I mean, you and I then probably graduated around the same time. We're talking then early to mid-90s. Early
2: 90s. 90s. So 91, I graduated. 91, you
3: graduated. I graduated 92. Well, let's be honest. Yeah.
2: 91, I was supposed to graduate. Oh, okay, God. Yeah. I graduated the summer uh, after. I didn't walk, oh, yeah. basically. I graduated yeah, yeah, that summer. Yeah, yeah. I had to make up some, yeah, yeah, yeah. some credits. <laughs>
4: okay.
2: That's legit.
3: Um, so that's San Jose. And then um, now then I think, and, and some of this will overlap, interestingly enough, with some of the stories or. The background that we talked about with the, with Osama because mm-hmm. now you you guys meet in college. We meet in college, yeah. Right. So now you're at what Dianza?
2: Was that? I was at, at Dianza. Mm-hmm. Actually, before I met, yeah, yeah, like, and this is a, this is important in the story. Before right. before the, I the met flea market or be, whatever, right? That, yeah, is that the story. Actually, even before that, before I met Osama, I was living here with my with my father, mm-hmm. and uh, like I said, he's a professional entrepreneur, doing very well, uh, and he decided to to leave the job that he was at to do some of his own, to follow his own passion. Right. Uh, and so he had a rough, like, three, four-year period there. Uh, lost his job. I mean, he quit his job and then tried to do his own thing. Lost a lot of money in, in, in some business endeavors. And uh, my stepmother at the time, uh, throughout that process, uh, they split. Mm. Uh, and so he he kind of was down and out in that, in that phase. Uh, lost his house. Uh, and this is when I was living with him. Car was repossessed. And then we went through uh, several months of kind of sleeping on friends' couches, kind of like surfing, couch surfing on Mm. on people's couches. Uh, And, you know, my father's a man, he has a lot of pride, he's a very honorable man, and so he doesn't like to put people out. Mm. And so we ended up staying in some weird, sort of in in South San Jose, some strange, like halfway house type place. Mm. Uh, And I remember it vividly. I was... 18 at this time this is post-graduation yeah. post high school mm-hmm. uh i was 18 and we were living in this cockroach infested place and it was just weird people coming in and out strange uh and then we couldn't even afford that after a while that was like something like 20 dollars a night or something Isn't that like maybe
3: that. the suburban the suburban equi- equivalent of like 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 a project or something it's like
2: basically that. yeah but say? it's in the middle of the suburbs gotcha. like literally yeah. in the middle of the suburbs right. it was just this one kind of interesting dilapidated yeah. house that oh. was there Uh, And, you know, we were, and I remember it vividly. We were eating rich crackers and peanut butter. That's what we were living on, you know. Um, And then one night we were sleeping and and, uh, he heard, like, rats Mm. on the floor. And he was like, that's it. That's it. Let's Let's go. And so we left that night uh, and we slept in the park. We slept in the park. And I remember very, very vividly because it has a profound influence on who I am. today this 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 one experience it was one night being homeless basically uh we slept in the park we we sat down on the park bench and he said we're just going to stay here tonight uh tomorrow we'll figure out what we're going to do he said but we're not going to submit to this this isn't going to be who we are and so he instructed me to 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 not sleep laying down he said sit up don't don't sleep laying down don't like basically don't give in right? right and uh so, I woke up with the sun beating down on my face, like, flat on the bench. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and he wasn't anywhere around. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what I should do. Should I wait for him? Because this time there was no car either. The cars had gotten repossessed. So should I wait for him? Should I, you know, what do I do? So, I just sat there. And about an hour later, he comes and he goes, okay, let's go. Right. It's okay. And so, we're all the way out Blossom Hill, San Jose, mm-hmm. right? Out, out yeah, that yeah, area, yeah. South San Jose. Right. And he goes, let's walk. And so, we walked. We walked the entire day to downtown San Jose the entire day we walked across the entire San Jose, San Jose
4: yeah.
2: got to downtown San Jose went to the Greyhound station yeah. he had found got some money and he said I, I can't I've been poor my life in my life before mm. uh, but I can't do this with you I can't make you go through this because I'm not I don't have it together right. and so he said, I'm going to put you on a bus back to Sacramento to, to, Sacramento to your mom's huh. until I can get back on my feet and then I'll bring you back mm. right and I went, you know, kicking and screaming. I did not want to go back to my mom's because I had a, a strange relationship with my stepfather. Mm. Uh, one of the reasons why I got kicked out, is it came to blows and they called the cops on me. And I was trying to stab him with a knife. And, and as, as vivid as that is, I think it's important people to understand that people don't just convert to Islam from like these posh backgrounds and everything was great. And then I made this choice, you know. Yeah. Uh, some of us come from very troubled, troubled backgrounds. So I got in the Greyhound, and went to my mom's. Uh, I didn't realize that he hadn't called her. Oh, to right, arrange, arrange it. it right. So I walk from downtown Sacramento to where my mom lives in Rancho Cordova, which is about, you know, like a five hour, five hour walk. And I get there and I knock on her door and she opens up the door and she's looking at me. And I said, dad sent me back. And she just said, no. She huh. said, no, you can't wow. stay here. Wow. I was like, well, where do I go? And my sister at the my older sister is five years older than me at the time, lived on the next block over. She said, go to your sister. She'll take you in. Wow. So I said, OK, I went to my sister's, huh. uh, walked to my sister's. And she said, you can stay here for a week. And the reason that they were being this way, to be fair to them, yeah, I caused yeah, a lot of trouble. Right, right. <laughs> literally, uh-huh. like it, me as a father now, I I don't blame them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I caused a lot, a lot of trouble for my for my family as a as a teenager. So I can totally feel my mother now saying like I can't do this. Mm-hmm. You, you can't you can't be here because I'm an adult now. I'm 18 years old. So mm-hmm. I go to my sister said you can stay a week, and she said but you got to find a job. And I said okay, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll get a job. Mm-hmm. So I literally every day went out went in no car so I'm walking trying to find jobs Taco Bell McDonald's wherever
4: Yeah,
2: know? and uh, couldn't find one But I really and I've said before like I've tried this time I legitimate, legitimately was trying and I couldn't I couldn't find a job uh, and so I don't remember what day of the week it was but it was a week at this point point. Right. and she said, she said you gotta find a job if you don't have a job today you can't come back you, you can't come back. Because her, her husband at the time, he was also fed up with the things I had done uh, before I left. Mm-hmm. And if I was able to tell you what I'd done, you would totally be on their side. But trust me. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. Trust afraid. me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I went out that day in the morning, early looking, couldn't find it. Uh, and I knew I would just at some point, I just knew I wasn't going to get a job. And I knew they were serious. and mm-hmm. and, and that night in the park, I didn't want to do that again. So I was like, I I, I got to do something. So I called old friends from Sacramento that I grew up with. Same thing. Yeah, dude. Sorry. They didn't want anything to do with me either. Yeah, dude. Sorry. Can't, can't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is important. I've told this story before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think at that point when I came back to her house, it was like 3 or 4 in the afternoon. I knew they were coming home at like 6. Mm-hmm. And I just said to myself, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do this anymore. No one wants me. Mm-hmm. Can't. Don't belong anywhere. I can't please anybody. I can't keep consistent. Can't keep a job. I can't keep off drugs. Uh, I'm just going to end it. And so uh, my sister's husband... Uh, the way they met is that he had actually fallen in an elevator i don't remember how many floors and injured his back and she was working at a chiropractor office and so they met at that time Mm -hmm. but i knew he had muscle relaxants in the house and i knew that if you were going to take pills because we had suicidal tendencies in my household growing up uh and so i knew if you're going to do it this is the way to do it you know it'll be quick Mm -hmm. you know your heart will go into cardiac Mm -hmm. arrest you won't feel anything it'll be done so i took a bottle of his muscle relaxants and an entire bottle of of tylenol uh and i was serious I uh, I vomited it up, and I was worried that if I vomited it up, I vomited up the poison, so I took another bottle of Tylenol. So it was, it, eventually it was like two bottles of Tylenol and a bottle of, of, of muscle relaxants. Um, and I remember just laying down on the kitchen floor and yeah. just waiting, you know, just didn't know what was going to happen but i didn't believe in a higher power so it wasn't important to me really what happened just that it was that it was over and i remember everything at that point just going in slow motion like the ceiling i remember the ceiling would would feel like it was like floating close and then floating far and then just slow motion (laughs) um miraculously from god my sister came home early that day she was worried that I wasn't going to find a job, yeah. and she wanted to like sort things out before the husband before um, her husband came home. Yeah. And she she found me uh, unconscious on the kitchen floor in a pool of my own vomit, and uh, she immediately like started slapping me. And I wasn't gone yet, so I, yeah. I woke up, but I don't remember it. I just right. remember this in flashes. Now she called my mother. I remember they filled the bathtub with ice cubes and cold water, put me in there. They wouldn't let me fall asleep. They kept trying to make me vomit. Um, fast forward, rushed me to the hospital. Uh, in my mind this all took place literally within seconds of each other like even in my recollection of the memory Mm. i don't remember the drive to the hospital i don't remember any of that uh i remember now after talking to them afterwards they rushed me in over someone who had a gunshot wound. that's how serious it was they said that they said i was literally a few minutes away from complete cardiac arrest Mm. uh so they 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 put a tube up my nose down to my throat put the charcoal in put my stomach um and uh, I didn't want them to help me. Like I literally, I gave one of the nurses, a male nurse, <laughs> a black eye. Not that that's any better than yeah. if it was a female nurse, <laughs> but but I gave him a black eye because I was literally fighting them off. I didn't want them to help me. They strapped yeah. me down. They eventually strapped me down, and they and they did it. And then I remember the next memory I had. I woke up uh, in the ICU with all these tubes in my nose still. These button all these monitors on my heart monitors on my body I remember my first thought I looked over in the corner room and saw my mom she was in the corner crying and my first thought was damn didn't work mm. Wow. and so I was just thinking how am I going to get out of here with these supervi- under the supervision to go make it work
4: huh.
2: under California state law if you attempt suicide you have mandatory three months in a mental institution so really? they sent me yeah they sent me to Sutter Memorial Mental Institution uh, in, Sac- in, Sac- is- in Sacramento on yeah. Folsom Boulevard yeah uh, they, they, they put me in there. I escaped the first night. Uh, I figured out they let you go in the patio and I saw that there was like a trellis there and things. So I said, I can hop that fence. I hopped it and ran, uh, got picked up like 15 minutes later by the cops and brought back. And then that was a different experience because now I got back back and then I'm now maximum security there because I'm an escape mm. risk. And so I actually was for, for about a week in a white padded room, which was, which was really, really. Uh, interesting, but this is important because yeah. I think, although I didn't know about Islam right. at this time when I was in a mental institution, uh, I made the decision to commit to God there. Okay, I, I made a conscious decision, and part of it was because the first night I was there after I got brought back, uh, they have meds that you have to that you have to take, and so mm-hmm. they gave me some meds and I took them, and I had been done drugs in my life yeah. and I was high. Like, they gave me these meds, and it was, like, LSD-type stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't cognizant. I couldn't think. I couldn't. And so uh, I told myself, I'm not going to take them anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take these meds anymore. And so I learned how to tongue it, right, so that I could hide it from them so that they couldn't see. Uh, but then that next day when I was there for the whole day, I saw troubled people. And I realized that I didn't have real problems. Mm-hmm. I was just a bitter kid. Like twice. Yeah. yeah I was just... You know, I had problems, but not like I could control my problems. Mm-hmm. They were in a situation they couldn't control. And one of the first images I saw when I left the room was a kid was banging his head on the on the on the wall hard, and I could hear it. And then I saw like the orderlies come and rush and pull him away, and there was literally blood stains on the wall. That's how hard he was hitting his head. A girl would pull her fingernails off, like, and so she had like all these gauze and stuff on her fingers. People talking to themselves down down the hall, and I realized I'm not like them, right? Right? I might have some emotional issues that I'm dealing with, but I'm not like them. And since I'm not like them, I don't belong here. Okay. And that's what. I, and so I had a nurse. I remember his name to this day. His name was Randy. It was an African American brother named Randy, and he came, and he would take my blood and like take my vitals and stuff. <clears throat> and like the third day after talking to him, he just looked at me. He goes. What are you doing here? And I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Why are you here?" And I said, "Oh, because I tempted." This. He goes, no, "I know what you did. I know what you did, and I know that. But why are you here? Mm. What What are you doing?" And I was like, "I don't get what you mean." He goes, "You don't belong here." Huh. And I said, "I don't understand what you mean." He said, "He said you're fine. You You have some issues that you're dealing with, but you're not like these people. Get yourself together and get out of here." And I said, "I want to. I've tried to get my life together, this and that." And then he said, "He said, you know why I do what I do." And I said, why? He said, because I used to be in here. And I said, you did? He said, yeah. You know why? And I said, why? He said, attempted suicide. And he said, I made the decision when I was in here that I was going to change. Mm. And I changed and I came back and I purposely got a job here so I could help people like you. Wow. And that was it for me. Uh-huh. That was it. I was like, at that point, I was like, he did it. He was like me. He changed. I'm going to change. And he was religious. He was Christian, but he was religious. And I, so I attributed that to religion gets you better right so, so i'm going to be religious and so i had conversations with god there for the first time i said if you get me out of here and you help me get out of here i'll dedicate my life to serving people through you and that was it right and then so so up you know, until that time you had
3: i mean consciously identified as someone who like you've said don't didn't believe in i didn't believe power. in god
2: and I, no i didn't believe in a higher power right. at all to the extent so, that i used and, to try to find people that were religious yeah. and convince them that god didn't exist like okay. i was literally a human devil and I, like, like Malcolm calls himself that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I literally would go and try to find the most religious people and try to convince them that religion didn't exist, that it wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And if, and if I saw, if I saw that I was making sense to them or I was, I, I was happy. Like, that's why I call it literally a human devil. I was really, really my purpose. I would try to knock people off their, off their religion. Mm-hmm. And huh. so this moment for me was a pivotal moment for yeah. me because I used to refuse to call on God if I was in trouble. I wouldn't do it because I you know, I was trying to follow my father's yeah. footsteps. He's an intelligent man. Obviously, he's done the research. I don't have to do it. God doesn't exist, so therefore. But here, when I'm at the bottom of the barrel, right. there's no far, you can't get any lower than this. At that point, I was stripped of everything, ego, pride, Every. I'm in a white padded room. You can't have right. an ego in a white padded room.
4: Yeah.
2: And everything was stripped away and the only thing that was left was God. Mm. And I realized that. That's the only thing that was left. And so then I started to think, why would I call on him? Why would I feel this if he didn't exist? If it wasn't in me already, right? right? And so, uh, three months mandatory. I got out in two weeks. I was able to convince them. Uh, this is why I have a problem with with, with psychologists and psychiatry now. Uh, I was able to convince them that I didn't really want to com- c- kill myself, yeah. and that I was just trying to show my family that I wanted help, right. and that I knew my sister was coming home early, and I timed it perfectly to when she was going to come in, and I wasn't really unconscious. When right. She right, in. right. And they believed it, and they bought it, and I got out. I got out in two weeks hmm. um and after i made that commitment now it wasn't all you know puppy dogs and sunshine from from that. from that point right. forward you know i had a lot of people that i had hurt you know in my life and you right. know a lot of people that i had to kind of make amends with but i stayed in sacramento i got a job and i stayed in sacramento for about another month or so and then i moved back to san jose and then i started going to college i went to dianza college okay uh and about you know literally about six months after that experience is when I met Osama Cannon
3: but then things had gotten better with your dad were you living with your dad again or I didn't I oh, came okay.
2: back and I and I, and I I got a job okay. and I, I was living in downtown San Jose and, and I was going to school during the day and I was working at a restaurant in the evenings Oh wow. okay
3: yeah. so now you and Osama's paths cross and then Osama and I right. then our
2: paths cross right. yeah and is, is Yahya
3: Rodas there too Yahya he isn't here oh,
2: Yahya's yeah. in, in, in San Diego oh that's uh, going right going to school at San Diego yeah. State at the time right right okay yeah so
3: then, uh, okay, and then, so then, you're, you're, you're in college, um, by now you have, you said you've, you've reckon you, you know, you believe in a higher power, yeah. you're, you're sort of, you know, uh, searching internally, mm-hmm. your, your searches take you where?
2: Oh, I you're, got back together, and they take me back to the
3: church. did take you, so yeah, that was the yeah. starting point. That was the like starting point. My mom's religion.
2: Yeah, that's what I knew yeah. growing up, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so I went back to the church. It didn't work because I, I had issues with with the creed. I Had issues with 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 Christian theology, uh, as it trinitarian like trinitarianism the, or something Yeah, else? It was, no, it oh. was it was Catholicism. Yeah. So they had the Trinity. Yeah, yeah. And I, and it confused me. Okay. And I and I asked so many different priests. You know, can you help explain this to me? And I found that none of them could, mm-hmm. and that it was always just you have to have faith, and that this is what religion is. And if you can't have faith, then you don't really believe in God. And I was like, well. I kept thinking that God wouldn't make it that confusing. Mm -hmm. Like he would, he would give me, you know, something, you know, to, to, to go on. Uh, So I left the church uh, literally after a year or so, you know, and I tried different denominations going to different, different places. And one thing that really got me was every church I went to was like the church for that nationality. Mm -hmm. I even went to a Korean church at one point, right? right? Black Baptist church, right? I went to a Presbyterian church, different uh, uh, Catholic churches. But it was always like the Filipino Catholic Church or the Chinese Catholic Church or the Black Baptist Church, and and in my mind, I didn't feel that God would compartmentalize His followers. Mm. Like I I wanted something that was more unifying, something that I was looking for the United Colors of Benetton of religion. (laughs) Well,
3: so a little confessional. So like I, I mean, I've driven by these type of churches all my life, Uh, never gone in. So when 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 it says like you know Korean or, or Black or whatever. You're, you're, is it like hundred percent of hundred percent of the uh, of the uh, of the uh, what do you call them the uh, the, the congregation? The congregation is uh, uh, to the for or the like most a very part, high
2: percentage. A, a high percentage, I would say eighty plus. Gotcha. Right, eighty percent plus. So others are welcome, but you're welcome, yeah, because yeah. it's God's yeah, 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 it's yeah, God's yeah. place, right? right? It's welcome, but culturally, gotcha. You're not going to really, have to yeah, struggle to you're going to have to struggle to make yourself right, and you're going to have to struggle to see, you know, yourself as a part of this group. You know, and a lot of people. So, like,
3: like a, as a Korean church, would, would the sermon arguably be in like Korean? No, it would be in English. Oh, okay. okay, I, okay
2: I think okay. they have some that are. Oh, I just never, I gotcha, never, gotcha, I never, gotcha, I never, rest, I never yeah. went to those. You know, uh, but you know, uh, I think you won't. You probably won't find very many people that would admit this. Mm. But I think, and then this is just my personal opinion, that a lot of people who are looking for religion, a lot of times they're just looking for community. Uh, and it's, it's not necessarily like a, a theological right. uh, process that's happening in the brain. And I, d- I don't think that's a necessary process because now as a Muslim, I really truly believe that the, my entire life, God was always with me. Mm-hmm. Whether I felt it or not or whether I decided to recognize it yeah, or not.
4: Right.
2: Uh, so I didn't need to find God, right? I needed to find people that helped remind me of God. Right, that helped Mm. remind me on a constant basis that God is there, people that could help guide me. But I wasn't necessarily, I don't think I was necessarily looking for God uh, in that sense. Uh, And then, you know, this is all, you know, in the 90s still, you know, mid 90s, early 90s actually. And and this is right after Spike Lee's Malcolm X film came out, you know. And as someone of mixed heritage, you know, it's something I think that's kind of ingrained in us. We don't like to conform. Uh, And that's partly, I think, because just even, you know, just with our racial makeup, you're never fully black, right? You'll be around the black, but they'll talk about white people. And you're like, but that's my mom, right? Right. And then you'll be around your white friends and they'll talk about black people. And you're like, but that's my dad. So you never really felt like you fit 100% uh, with with them. Uh, So the reason I mentioned the Malcolm X film is that I did meet some Muslims in school. Uh, Because when I met Osama, he wasn't a Muslim, but I did meet some Muslims in school, and I remember thinking to myself, uh, "Yeah, I'm not going to do that whole Spike Lee thing." And I remember saying that. I don't remember who I said that. to. By that you meant? I meant the Malcolm X. Like it's the everyone's wearing X hats now. It's cross colors are in. It's cool to be back to Africa's in. Back to Africa. You know, Rage Against the Machine. You know, kind of Pan Africanism -Africanism going on. Pan Africanism going on. Uh, And I just didn't want to do that. You know. Just because everyone else was doing it, and it might have been the thing I might have actually wanted to do it, but I wasn't going to do it because everyone else was going to do it, yeah. right? And this is the age... like black people then at that time. As-salamu alaykum alaikum yeah, assalam. Whether you're Muslim or not, That's it was right. like the cool thing, cool thing to do. Everyone's yeah. wearing Africa medallions. You know, oh, yeah. I, I did the whole Kwame high top fade with Africa bleached <laughs> into the front of my, <laughs> in the front of my yep. fade. You know, taking me back to high school. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't want to do it. So when I actually did meet Usama. Yeah. We were in Spanish class together. Uh, and <laughs> that's, <I> don't <laughs> that's where we yeah, met. Ironically, or interestingly enough. Interestingly enough, we met, we met in Spanish class. Yeah. Uh, more interesting than that, I think we spent two days in class, <laughs> and then we just skipped every other class <laughs> after that, and we would just sit out in the quad and, right. and, and talk. And we realized that we had some mutual friends, although I was older, but we had some mutual, mutual friends, and so we would talk.
1: So you guys hit it off pretty quick.
2: Mm. Very quickly, yeah. And I think it's sort of like a mulatto yeah, thing, like a mixed no, heritage because thing. Of his background, yeah. yeah, because the, you know, you always can like uh, you can. I can always tell when someone's mixed, like black and white, mm. and it's just uh-huh. something that you 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 know, like Egyptians can tell another Egyptian, yeah. Pakistanis can tell another Pakistani, and uh-huh. so I we always yeah. knew. So we saw each other, and although Osama's light complexion and he has straight hair, I knew immediately that he was that he was uh-huh. black. And so we would just kind of talk about our lives and our upbringing and our, you know, we both were into reggae at the time and into some not so positive extracurricular activities that we would do together. Uh, and and I remember one day, I don't remember what it was that happened, but I uh, remember I said when I left Sacramento and I left the mental institution, it wasn't just, you know, night and day, everything's fixed, you know. Mm. And so I was still doing drugs and drinking and things at, at, at the still time. struggling you know? with your demons as a Yeah, and, you know, but I'm still trying to get my act together. I'm yeah. living on my own, paying my rent, you know, going to school. Right. And I remember just one day I said, you know, I don't want to do this. I want to get better. I don't want to just skate by. I want to I want to live an excellent life. I don't want to just yeah. live. Because already, you know?
3: I mean, arguably, I mean, there's been improvement.
2: Yeah, yeah, right? vast I mean, oh, improvement. Right, of I mean, that's
3: amazing. Okay. But... The fact that you still have that inner voice saying that, that, I think that's beautiful. Because oftentimes people will accept a life of mediocrity.
2: Well, the interesting thing is... Or that a life of, you know what I mean? Of, I the majority of, of us probably, probably do. Of. We get into yeah. the into a mundane lifestyle, right. just kind of, you know, wake up, do this and that's the right. same thing and, and do it on repeat. Uh, the, the, I attribute this to my father because he's an entrepreneur and he was always striving, gotcha. always doing something new, always reading, always, getting, always trying to make himself better. And, I, and I don't, the, the interesting thing is that there wasn't anything significant that happened in my life. Mm-hmm. I think I was just home one night thinking, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to live in a one-bedroom, you know, place downtown San Jose with a shared bathroom. I don't want to do this, you know, into my, you know, in my, my 20s and my, in my 30s. I want to do something. I want to live an excellent life. And so uh, Usaba and I, we used to have very candid conversations just about life uh, in general. And so I went to him one day. We went, we went to Miyaki's Sushi, which was across from De Anza College in Cupertino. We actually tried to drive by there a year ago, and it was gone. We were really uh, sad. Zuckie's
3: Zucky's out, right? Or you, you haven't been at Danza in a while? But, no, I teach oh, there. I mean, yeah, I yeah, teach
2: that's I right. I teach there every summer. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so we were that we were out there, uh, you know, and we, we went to sushi. Osama was a vegan at the at the time, and he was always trying to get me to be a be a vegan. Uh, and yeah, sorry, I didn't know that he had. Know, always he gives me a hard time. So, no, no, gonna, he was a hardcore, hardcore <laughs> vegan. You can bring that up. To yeah, you. I will. I'm gonna up use up. that
3: against him. Yeah, he was a he was a
2: hardcore, hardcore vegan. Any okay. weapons you need against the, the Canada, <laughs> let me know. I'm I know the man. As more right. than willing to give them to you. Uh, but I told him, I yeah. said, I'm gonna change, man. Right. I'm tired of this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the church. Wow. And he was there, and he put his head down. And He goes, you know, you should look into Islam. And my answer to him, I remember it. I said to him verbatim, I said to him, no thanks, man. Uh, that's a religion for, for black separatists and wow. Arab terrorists. Wow. And that was my response from
1: So So we're talking here mid-90s? 90, yeah. 96. Yeah, this is 96.
2: 96. 96. This is... February '96 right, in you Ramadan Take a shot. I mean, yeah.
3: I'm not. I'm not giving away the punchline. But you, you take yeah. a shot. In yeah, 96. we sort of
1: know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. I'm not giving away <laughs> any. the twist. Of, <laughs> the twist ending. <laughs> right. The, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So early '96. Early '96. Gotcha. So, so your exposure to Islam. Is basically, you know... The, up in this the point, the nation. hijacking right.
2: and just, you know, kind of... This. Well, closer to home, the nation. Yeah, yeah. The, my, my experience of Islam at that time was okay. really Nation of Islam. Okay. okay. Like, Islam was a black, black thing. Black, yeah. black, black separatism. Black And then it was a black these thing. crazy <laughs> people yeah. overseas. And then out. you hear about... Yeah. And then, so the crazy people overseas, it wasn't what we know now. It right. was just from films I grew up watching oh, in Back to the Future. It was yeah, yeah. Libyans, <laughs> right, with plutonium and AK-47s. Right, and that's what I thought of Islam because, again... Delta Force. Delta Force. Force. Exactly because I'm watching these movies, yeah, right, and so you know, and
1: so is everyone else, and so is everyone else,
2: and so you're not doing your own research. You're that's thinking right. like, oh, that's what they are. Okay, that's. Nor what they is are. it as ubiquitous
3: in the media as it is now. I mean, exactly. So it wasn't like you said. You almost had to go back to like these little, uh, you know, lamppost in popular culture. Well,
1: you know, you know? just and of to, course
3: the, the World Trade Center bombing had happened, but right. I mean, I felt like if you weren't like even in the news, if you weren't like a news watcher, or whatever, it wasn't like it was as. Now that wasn't was, even something on. It my wasn't mind. Cause it wasn't like something like nine eleven where not it was around. just you know.
2: Huge yeah. Moment, not, not not at all. Yeah. And you know, just maybe just a quick tangent. Mm-hmm. You know, now post Islam, you know, here we are, twenty fourteen. You know, all eyes on the Muslims type thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- I won't be popular for saying this, but I get it—the negative views about Muslims. I get it because I felt that way about Russians, and when I was growing up in the eighties, and I had never met a Russian. There you go. You know, Rets- but they were communists. But you saw Rocky Four. I saw Rocky IV. Right? <laughs> exactly. that's, <all> <laughs> <laughs> that's all I needed. They were bad, right? Rocky Four told me, you know, Ivan Drago was the bad guy, and he was so bad he had to use drugs and steroids yeah, yeah, to But Rocky's right. doing it naturally. Oh, natural. The American he climbs the mountain. He climbs the mountain while the guys on the the know, first the
3: CrossFitter. Yeah, he was like the, he was CrossFit before CrossFit. Uh,
2: so yeah. as a, as a young kid, I had that view yeah. because mm-hmm. I never did my I never did my own research, right. but the media told me that this is what it was, and I bought it hook, line, and sinker. You know. Right so after I told him that I didn't want to didn't want to become Muslim he said well you should look into it oh they, sorry quick question yeah.
3: now you know his
2: brother at this point because I don't because when we were talking about Usama I know of his Anas's brother his I know yeah. of his brother but I didn't yeah. meet Anas until after I converted gotcha. yeah, sorry. but I yeah. but I know him right, right. I know of him because okay. it would be through, through Usama mm-hmm. and so and this is actually when Usama brings him up uh, in a in a you know in a in a direct manner yeah. in, in, terms of, in regards to Islam right he says you know The Muslims, they have a prophet uh, that they follow whose name is Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him. And he's not Muslim. Osama's not Muslim at the time. Hmm. Uh, He says his name is Muhammad, and uh, he's the son of Ishmael, the son of Abraham. He said they have the same prophets that Christians have. And I was intrigued now, you know. And I said, hmm, that's interesting. because you know, my brother's a Muslim. He's, I'm not Muslim, but my brother's a Muslim. I was like, okay, interesting, cool. I don't remember the rest of the conversation. This was on a Wednesday. Uh, that evening, I went to Barnes and Noble bookstore on Stevens bu- Creek Boulevard, Stevens Creek in San Tomas, Yes. And I went to go find a Bible, uh, and because and, that, that's what I was going to do, I was going to get back to religion. And on my way to the Christianity section, I wa- walked past the Eastern Philosophy section, and I looked up for, for some reason, and I saw uh, Martin Ling's book, Muhammad: His Life Based on the Earlier Sources, mm-hmm. and it was written on the side on the on the spine of the book, Muhammad, in gold letters and it triggered Usama told me about this guy Muhammad uh-huh. and so I pulled the book down and I opened it up and I tried to read it now like every third or fourth word is an Arabic name Abdul Mappallab Abu Qasr I, I, yeah. I could and so I was reading it and it's, but it's interesting because yeah. as I was reading it I was like see it's a, a religion for Arabs. Arabs I can't even pronounce the words that they're oh. right and so I put it back but what stuck in my head is that through that short uh reading that I was doing I read about a page Uh, it made reference to the Quran three or four times now I didn't know what the Quran was, and th- you might laugh at me for this, because the Quran for me was K O R A N. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about a Q U R A N. Oh, you saw it on the,
4: the books. I saw,
2: <laughs> I, I saw this Q thing. I didn't watch. know the, this Q thing, but I saw it. Now the Q, the Q Quran in Martin Ling's book, right? <laughs> right. And so I put it back. Oh, I put right. the book back. But yeah. when I put it back, right next to it is Yusuf Ali's translations of the of the Quran. It's
3: spelled with the Q. Right. It's spelled
2: <laughs> with a <the> Q. <laughs> so I pick it up. And I read it. True story, I kid you not, this is a true story. I opened up to a random page which just so happened to be the very first page of Surah Al I read it from uh, start to finish. <clears throat> I'm in the bookstore. By the end of reading it, I was in tears because it answered the questions I had about Christianity that no Christian priest could answer. And here I'd pick up this random book, you know, and then literally within one chapter, It gave me the answers of who was Jesus, right? And as a Christian, that's important because, you know, if you don't accept Jesus, that's it, eternal damnation. And so now here's this version of Jesus that makes sense to me. That makes sense. He wasn't God's son. He was a prophet like all the other prophets. And I started to think, why would God kill his son to save people when God's omnipotent? He could just save you if he wanted to. I bought it. I bought the Quran. I took it home. I read that chapter two more times that night, and I refused to read anything else i was afraid if i read something else i would read something that i didn't believe in and i just wanted if you would have told me that islam was i would have (laughs) taken it at that point i would have Um, taken it but i was afraid if i kept reading it would have been some weird thing that i couldn't get with and then here i would be lost again and and not really have a a, a religion that was wednesday night when i bought it and took it home and, and and read it and then thursday i went to school uh and usama didn't have class on thursdays so i did i wanted to tell him like i you know i got this book and i read the quran and but he didn't have class on thursdays when i went there i met uh, a man by the name of khadim um, and thank you and khadim is a senegalese man who was selling some like knickknacks that he brought back from him was from senegal dolls and leather wallets and stuff like that when we run it back Little, yeah uh, maybe
3: just like half a yeah, second why don't we, like it. yeah that would be great uh, cuz I love yeah. this story too
2: So so Khadim he had just gotten back from Senegal and he was he had like a kiosk there at De Anza in the quad and he was selling like some dolls and like leather wallets and knickknacks and things and and I walk up to him and uh and I'm just looking at some of the things and he says how are you brother and I said oh I'm 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 doing well thank you and then he's the next thing he said to me he goes brother are you a muslim And I said, no, I'm I'm, I'm not, I'm not a Muslim. I said, but you know, I bought a Quran last night and he just like his smile, like he glowed and he was just like, that's so beautiful. And he came around, he gave me a hug and uh, although it was weird, it felt good (laughs) at the same time. Like I felt like I wasn't supposed to like it, but I did kind of like it. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was was genuine and it was real. And then you know we just kept talking a little bit but he didn't mention anything about Islam. He just said that's good and then he just started talking about what we were talking about. Uh, and then he says to me he says I'm a Muslim. And he says you know we pray 5 times a day. And he said right now is one of the times of prayer and then we can't delay it. We have to we have to pray in the time. And I said okay yeah no 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 problem at all. And he said so you have to excuse me. I said yeah yeah man do your do your thing. He said will you do me a favor? Yeah. And I said sure. He said can you watch uh, my stand for me? I said yeah, okay. And he he showed me his cash box and he goes, here's the cash. He said, if someone comes, if you could just sell this for this much and this for this much, I would really appreciate that, brother. And I was like, cool. And he left. Now, I'm not Muslim. Yeah. So I'm thinking, man, I could take his cash. Right? I could take his cash right now and he wouldn't, I could avoid him easily. He would never find me. He doesn't know who I am, doesn't know my name or anything. And then immediately after I had that thought, it occurred to me, he knows that too.
4: Hmm.
2: He knows I could take it, and he doesn't care. And then wow. immediately in my heart, I said, "Whatever made him not care, that's what I want." Right. right? And he was gone for a long time, literally like a half an hour. I kid <laughs> you not, bro.
3: I, I he goes to Banqara,
2: so to Ran in his door, prayer, and then he came back. But this is important, and this is important for me on so yeah. many levels. This next moment when mm. he's coming back. Uh, Because this is a dark, swarthy, black, African man, right? Dark, dark, dark complexion. Uh, And when he returned from prayer, he looked different. And I felt like his face was glowing. And later on, after I converted, I understood about Noor and the concept of light on faces. But I had never witnessed this before in my life. Like, he looked prophetic to me when he was coming back. And, like, if he would have been floating across the quad, it would have just been perfect. You know, end credits, (laughs) great movie, right? Works out perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he comes back and he's just like, thank you, brother, so much for, you know. And I actually had sold a couple things for him. And he was just so, so thankful. Immediately after that a Pakistani man walks up with long hair mm-hmm. long long hair like like a mullet type thing and a Metallica shirt and he comes and they greet and he says salam to him and they, you know they hug each mm-hmm. other and then he turns to me and he says how are you i said I'm, I'm i'm good and then he looked at me and then he says to me too he says are you muslim brother and i was like no but now my mind is spinning like you know i'm i'm like in my 20s now yeah. and never in my life has someone asked me if i was muslim ever and now on this day the day after i buy a quran two people ask me if i'm muslim and then so khadim explains to me he says no he's not a muslim he said but he bought a quran last night and the same thing he gave me a hug he's like this is so great and i i was thinking to myself, what? they're so genuinely happy for me to have a quran like that's right. a that's a pretty amazing thing like i've bought a lot of bibles and you know and carry bibles and no one's ever yeah. happy for me like well, you got a bible wow it was never like a, okay. a, a like a, a a big a big deal to them and so the the Pakistani brother's name was Suhail and he says to me he says have you ever been to a mosque and I said no I've, I've never been I've never been to a mosque he said would you like to go to one I said sure he said tomorrow's a great day to go it was Juma uh, he said you know if you want I can pick you up and you know you can come to my house and have lunch with me and my mother it's Ramadan now right so you come to my house and have lunch with me and my mother and I'll, I'll take you to the mosque and I was like sure man I, I had never met people that were just nice like this to strangers right like offer you to take you bring you to lunch and right.
3: so i was now are you consciously thinking like it's also dispelling the notion of islam being a arab religion well yeah because this guy's, yeah, this guy's black yeah, right. so and, and,
4: and
2: they're like they're like right. embraced you know and so I mean. it seems you know okay. it seems cool and, and i have to be honest right. it was a bit exotic for me as an american kid from the inner city in sacramento to have this black African speak with his African accent and then this Pakistani guy speak with his accent, mm-hmm. it was exotic yeah. to me. You know, like <laughs> right. I, was, I was in it right now. You know, <laughs> right. if there was a place to be, it's right here. This is the cultural fusion, <laughs> nice. you know. It's nice. going on. Uh, and so he picks me up the next day on Friday, comes to my house, picks me up, and we drive to his house. Uh, and again, I don't know much about Islam at this point. Like I literally I haven't been the guy who's studying it. It was literally a day before right. that I bought the Quran. beyond that... It was Nation of Islam. That's what I knew. Uh, and so we go to his house, and, and his mother's there, and I, I meet her, and they've got food spread out, and his mother and I sit down, and she's like, "Eat," and I told I asked him, so, are you going to eat?" He goes, "No, no, I'm not, I'm not eating. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not. I'm not going to eat." And I was like, "Okay, is that strange? Well, I'll eat with your mother." Uh, and later on, I realized that he's fasting. He's fasting. You know, his mother's right. elderly. She was, she was elderly. She didn't have to fast.
4: Right. Uh,
2: but we eat, and, and you know, we're just talking, and they didn't bring up religion at all, at all. They're just asking me about my life, what my hopes and dreams were to have siblings, what did they do, you know, just totally normal humans interacting, you know, total normal conversation. Um, So after lunch, uh, he says, you know, we're going to go to a mosque. He says, "And you know, as Muslims, we we like to be purified before we go. He said, so if if it's okay with you, it'd probably be better if you took a shower before you went. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So I guess that was like my first hustle without intention. <laughs> uh, All right, but if I was handing it'd be cool, right? Yeah, 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 it would. No, I was gonna say, intention. Before also, what's
4: that?
2: <laughs> so I did, and it, it, the, the interesting thing is, it wasn't strange right. to me. It didn't feel like I, if any other time you go to someone's house, like, hey man, you should take a shower. You'd be offended, you know. <laughs> but I was say, it but, it, been but a little, it felt, yeah. it felt but, like I'm gonna go to a holy place here, and so that makes sense that I would purify myself. You know, I was used to just touching my hand in the, yeah, the yeah, holy yeah. water and doing the Father, Son, okay. Holy Spirit thing. So this, it kind of <coughs> made sense to me. So we did that, went to the mosque before Juma at the MCA, uh, Muslim Community Association mm-hmm. in Santa Clara, California. Mm-hmm. We're about a half an hour early before Juma prayer. Okay. Uh, I walk in behind him, and there was a group of about 30 men waiting for me. Uh, all different nationalities. The majority of them were Indobak, but the, all okay. different nationalities there... And they were all greeted me when I when I came in. And then So Hale said to me, he said, he said I told them that I was bringing you and they were all, they wanted to come early because they wanted to, to meet you. And it wasn't weird for me. Like I thought, like now in retrospect, I should have thought like, wow, this is kind of, maybe they're about to induct me into some cult or something, you know. But it, it just seemed, I was so hungry yeah, for that, right. that it just, any, I was going to take it anyway, right? right. And so I met them, we sat down, and then now they started to talk to me about, about religion. They started to explain the the concept of Allah The books, the angels, the day of judgment uh, All of it, right? And so we're sitting there talking for maybe like 15-20 minutes And afterwards, they said, do you have any questions for us? And I said, no, you know, it all seems to make Kind of, it kind of makes sense, you know And so, the the man that was there I remember his name still, Anisu he said, he said, would you like to become a Muslim? I didn't hesitate, Akhi I didn't hesitate, I said, yeah And even when I said it, I was surprised at myself Like Right. Did I just say that? Did they, did they you know,
3: like I said, Adubai- yeah, out of body type. experience. I said,
2: yeah. And then they said, great. And so wow. Uh, wow. he took my hand and so was there. And so put his hand on mine. And I and I, I butchered uh, the Shahada, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the Arabic was probably all yeah. off. Uh, and and I and and after I said my Shahada, they stood up and they all gave me hugs. And I prayed Jumma. Uh, that was the 17th. I took Shahada on the Battle of Badr. On the seventeenth oh, of Ramadan, Ramadan.
4: Right.
2: Uh, and so I, that was your first time entering a mosque. Entering a mosque,
3: happened to be con- you know the day of congregation, yeah. and so you happen to pray your first Jummah as a Muslim, as a Muslim
2: right. at at the MCA, <laughs> right. where there's probably the largest congregation of people meet That's here insane. in the Bay Area, oh, yeah. and so there was a thousand people. It's a mega mosque. It's one of
3: the certain mega mosques that we
2: have. And so after my after we pray, they get on the microphone and they announce. That brother Brian just embraced Islam right before the Salah. Um They said, so please welcome him and greet him. Now, I didn't know what that meant. Huh. I did after half an hour <laughs> yeah, yeah, of meaning, hugging people. Right. <laughs> uh, and then I also learned a lot about Muslim cultures, too. Yeah. That some cultures, they kiss you on your cheek very close to your lips. <laughs> now, as a kid from Sacramento, yeah, 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 this was like, okay, what's going on here? But I felt the love. I really yeah. did. And I remember after when people were coming up to hug me, I remember I kept, I kept in my head, I kept saying, Asian looks, you know, this guy looks Asian, African. Mm. I don't know where he's from, Middle Eastern. Yeah. There's a white guy, right? right. Like, it was a Syrian, but yeah. for me it was like a white guy, <laughs> right? And uh, at this right. point in 1996 at the MCA, they tell me there had only been a handful of shahadas there wow. before that. And so it was a big deal. Yeah. It was a big deal to them. I stayed for an hour or so after Jum'a and everyone was still there. Like, literally, I was sitting in a congregation of like 50 to 100 people just talking and I got so many phone numbers from people, you know, and I gave my phone number to people. It was literally the most... Uh, there's not words for it, mm. for that for that experience. Uh, you know, and I've told this story several times. Uh, there's part that I haven't, haven't told before. Uh, I don't know, maybe it was just out of, of fear of what people would think. Uh, but... I I think it's important to say it. The moment I said my shahada, my eyes were closed, and after I finished saying the shahada, uh, I immediately opened up my eyes in a in sort of a frightful way, because I literally and I kid you not, Allah is my my witnesses, Ramadan, Allahumma nisa'im, this is Mm -hmm. the truth. I felt like I lifted, I I floated off the ground. I I felt like I started to rise up in the air, Mm -hmm. and I got scared, and so I opened my eyes to make sure that I was still sitting down. Now, later, after studying overseas mm-hmm. and talking to some of my, sha- my mashaikh, mm-hmm. they say that is the spiritual manifestation of sins being lifted. So you've, 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 your soul felt yeah, yeah, light. lighter. Your light. soul felt lighter. And since I've talked yeah. to other converts who have converted, and they all mentioned the same thing, that they yeah. felt really, really light, really, really light afterwards. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's the positive uh, conversion <coughs> story, the one that everyone wants to hear. There's another version of it, uh, which is post shahada which is the story that most converts don't tell. Mm. Uh, And the reason that we don't tell that story is that we're so accustomed to people asking us our conversion stories. We've understand now why they're asking. They're not asking, why did you convert? They're asking to be inspired by your story. And so if you have an uninspirational story, you you don't, I I, I joke about it. I say, I think when people ask what they want to hear is I was walking down the street, cloud came Okay. Lightning hit me in the chest I fell unconscious I woke up I saw Allah tattooed on my chest And I knew I had to be Muslim sure. And I'd be like "MashaAllah, brother But for the most people For most people it's I studied the religion for a while sure. uh,
3: Conversion is not an event No it's, it's not It's
2: a process yeah. It's a process Not an event uh, And probably the story That you're not hearing And if, yeah. if we're honest Is your girlfriend was, boy, was, was Muslim Or boyfriend was Muslim And so that I had to convert So that we could get married uh, That's not going to be messaged uh, publicly yeah. But for the next few days after my conversion,
4: yeah.
2: it was hard, really, really hard, uh, because I converted in a in a in an immigrant community, mm-hmm. and I was given a salar khamis and I was told this is what you wear, and I immediately put it on because I wanted to be a Muslim. So I'm mm-hmm. walking around, you know, the Bay Area like this like a Pakistani. I went mm-hmm. to Valley Fair Mall uh, with that on, <laughs> the, 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 which is Westfield Mall now. Yeah. Uh, I ran into some friends and they're just like, dude, why are you wearing your pajamas outside? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but beside that, the lonely moments were me trying to pray, uh, and being in Sajda and having Shaitan come and say, there's no God. Why are you doing this? You're wasting your time. You look like a fool. Look at you bouncing your head up on the ground on the, Uh and so I had these thoughts after I converted, but you can't tell anybody that. Yeah. Right even even i feel shy mentioning it now you know oh, like, like not... you know, 18 years after shahada huh. but it was hard after i converted i was still trying to convince myself that this was the right thing and that took years took years to happen i wanted it so bad and i believed in it so much that i wasn't going to stop no matter what uh and i would have been willing to have a sort of an unspiritual unspirit- life as a muslim i would have kept doing it uh, but that spirituality and the and the and the you know enjoying prayer and enjoying like the religious acts didn't come until much much later yeah much much later
3: right uh and so then um uh now you're are you going to mca at all i did
2: okay. i did you know that became my mosque you know because
3: so, i'm thinking 96 what i mean is there? there i
2: met sheikh hamza uh that weekend after you convert after I converted I converted on Friday I met him on Saturday he had a he had a a religious interfaith talk at Santa Clara University the next day so this is
1: this is at a point before Sheikh Hamza is kind of the national oh no he's not known yet I mean he's
2: basically the resident imam at the MCA Uh, he's still working as a nurse, yeah. uh, and he's still She's, continuing his education at San Jose State. And he had just recently returned from 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 Mauritania, so he's reacclimating right, right. to America. I mean, by ninety six,
3: though, and we talked. It's funny because we talked about this in the next room when we were talking with the city Osama. But by ninety six, he's on the upward trajectory, though. Sure. I, I I was sharing my experiences because if correct me, if, well, at least with Osama, this is like September. Osama converts. Yeah. And I was sharing. So he, he said September ninety six, and I so automatically in my mind I'm thinking, what was I doing when I, in September ninety six? September, September ninety six would have been me returning from Isna mm. in in Cleveland, mm. and by then Sheikh Hamza was already primetime Isna.
2: I didn't even know Isna yeah, was the Yeah,
4: in yeah, Cleveland. of course, of course, because <laughs> it was. And
3: I, and I and I bring that up. No, I brought that up with Osama for the same reason I'm bringing it up now, which is to say that um, not only to say that okay, where was Sheikh Hamza, but you know, where, like it just when I hear your story, is as when I heard Osama's story. You know, it automatically makes you reflect on where I was. Mm. You know, at that time, and then, but like you're saying, but and not only my, you know, having these completely different set of experiences, Isna's a thing. Mm. I mean, Isna's definitely a thing in the in the mid '90s, and arguably still is. But that entire universe, as it were, is completely unknown to you. I don't know anything. You're right, about it. exactly. You are MCA, if that, Santa Clara. I know two San- I know Masjid Nul yeah. right. and MCA. I and you know a handful of people. And then they're two miles apart,
2: and they're two miles apart yeah. Sister Musk. Correct. So I just know the same group of people. That's
3: and, it. And, and before the age of the internet, before YouTube, yep. I can't even tell you to go plug in and watch some no. videos or something, right? So it's like. Whoever you have access to on the ground tactically, that's it. That's it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. we latched on to people. Right. Like we would. I would go to the masjid at Fajr to to learn how to how to say my prayer. Right. Like that. That's literally what we did. So so almost yeah, by sorry.
1: happenstance, you have access to Sheikh Hamza. Yeah. On a one to one basis. I mean. Yeah, and that actually
2: that actually ends up becoming uh, a regular thing. Right. So I met Sheikh Hamza that night, and he was. I mean, he was always Sheikh Hamza, but he was. Sheikh Hamza at that time. He was becoming <laughs> Sheikh Hamza. I don't think he was known really outside of of uh, these
3: conventions. Of, of these conventions and all, he, and he was on the lecture yeah. circuit.
4: Uh, and but, as
3: things happen, I mean, even locally, he may not have been a big name. You know, yeah, it could have been no, more of a national thing. It's, yeah, exactly. That happens a lot. But,
2: but I remember watching yeah, mm-hmm. him speak with the rabbi and the Christian at uh, that interfaith. Yeah. At that interfaith. And I just remember, you know, thinking, this is probably the most brilliant man alive like literally this like there was they couldn't get him on anything he knew their books better than them and then and then i remember uh hearing him speak arabic and i was just like wow we can do that like americans we Uh can like he's amazing like the most amazing person and then after the the event downstairs uh there were people gathered to meet him people like were in awe you know trying to shake his hand he had a huge crowd around him there was also a group that was there trying to jam him up you know you recited this wrong there's a you know a little faction group here in the bay area that didn't like him and so they were trying to jam him up and so i'm watching all this how he handles them mm-hmm. and i'm just kind of in the background and he looks up over at me and he and he looks over at me and he goes how how are you and i said I'm, I'm fine he goes what's your name i said I'm, uh, my name is brian he goes welcome welcome brian and then I said to him, I said, I, I just uh, converted yesterday. And he goes, wow, mashallah. And he goes, your name again? I said, Brian. He goes, welcome, welcome, Brian. And then he had to keep going to okay. people. Uh, <laughs> the next Juma at the MCA, he gave the khutbah. Nice. Uh, and I was in the bookstore. The MCA bookstore was our hangout. That was that was our Google for Islam at that time. <laughs> we would be in there for hours right. after Juma. Literally, we would pray Juma, and there's some days that we were there till Isha, mm-hmm. just in the bookstore, trying on kufis, like <laughs> the, the the plastic kufi, you know, trying that on. Just, the bowl, yeah. the bowl, the plastic bowl, the 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 the, the yeah. Palestinian scarf, oh, yeah. you know. We were just anything. We're yeah. just Muslim, like just yeah. give us anything, you know. Uh, and then I was in the bookstore, and Sheikh Hamza was in there, and he walked in, and I was there, and, and he looked over, and he goes, Brian. Said, he remembered my name. To this day, I can't tell you how much that affected me. To this day. I still get goosebumps wow. thinking about it. Right. That this amazing scholar right. saw me one time right. for 15 seconds. A week later, he remembers my name. And I, I, I knew who he was. He, I saw all those oh, people. Yeah. He was a rock star, They're right? And I knew that that's impossible for him to remember my name. And so he just, he came over and he started talking to me, asked me about my life. And uh, that was it for me. Uh, from that point on, he invited me to his house to, to come learn. I, I started studying Maliki Fick with him from this like lime green book called Malachite Jurisprudence. Um, and I would walk <laughs> over to his house uh, several times a week, you know, uh, just at lunchtime. He lived on Monroe in, in Santa Clara. I, w- I would walk over there and I would just sit and I would, I would, I would study with him. In fact, I-, I wanted to choose the name Khadim uh, for myself out of respect for, for Khadim. And she comes and says, this is a good name. He goes, but you should, you should maybe think about Mustafa. And so I, it stuck. And I, and I, and I, chose, I chose Mustafa uh, from that point on. Uh, so that was that was it, and then you know, in in September, Osama called me. We were still at school together, yeah. and, and but um, we still had kind of the same same crowd. And right. Osama was just hanging with the Muslims, right? He was just he he already knew how to pray, he knew how to make wudu, all that stuff, but he just didn't commit yet, right? He was, and so one day he calls me and he says, "Hey man, tell me about Islam," right? Right? And I said, "Okay," and so we went to dinner. Uh, royal taj in campbell california right had vegan food right <laughs> you can bring that up with them <laughs> have vegan food and we talked about it we talked about islam mm-hmm. uh, and the next day i said let's go to the mosque he said okay it was juma and so we went to the mca mm-hmm. and we went to the mca and i told the imam before the Salah, i said someone's going to take the Shahada after right. the Salah." we prayed in the back and so we prayed did our turakaz you know uh did our Taslim. And then the, the imam gets on the mic and said, someone's going to take their uh, their brothers. Please stay seated. Someone's going to embrace Islam. Right. And I nudge him. I go, that's you, Ak. And he goes, he goes what? I said, that's you, bro. <laughs> and he goes, what are you talking about? I said, bro, you're... Don't make them wait, man. There's all these people that they're looking back at us now, man. Just go. <laughs> and so he like <laughs> reluctantly. Yeah. He, he tells people that I forced him to take <laughs> his shahada. In a way, I did, but he was ready. Dang. Come on, he just made wudu and prayed jummah with us perfectly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so he went up there and he said his shahada there, and that was September. And so he was basically the reason that I converted in in February um and i wouldn't say that i was the reason that he did because his brother was already muslim but i was the one that took him to the mosque and then he took his shahada in in, in september and it's interesting that you know our past went different ways i went overseas to mauritania syria sudan morocco and yemen and then he was in uh morocco medina and and egypt Egypt. and so we kind of went for like a decade No, we still hung out when i was back and stuff but then it's it's interesting that our past started together, and now we're both here, yeah, you know, right. founding director and co-founder of this organization whose, you know, goal is to take care of the needs of converts and, you know, right. sort of disenfranchised Muslims.
3: And we'll definitely get to Talif. I mean, yeah, I definitely want to get to Talif. But before – so you alluded to the fact that now you have – both of you, and I think different time periods, you spent, I think, great amount of time overseas. But what was the what's happening? So you've converted now. You're taking these private classes with Sheik Hamza. What was the impetus to go
2: abroad? So Sheik Hamza brought Sheik Khatri Got it. Here, uh, which is basically a Mauritanian sage, right? right? He's a faqih, and he's just he's just a sage. If anybody who's met him, if you see his his noble face, Mm -hmm. you just you fall in love immediately. And then not only that, but you just know this is a serious man, and he's about business. Right, and he really was, mm. uh, and so we had a small apartment that the brothers were kind of renting together uh, on Jefferson Avenue in Santa Clara, mm. uh, and Sheikh Hamza was just a few blocks away in Monroe at that time, and so he brought Sheikh Khatri and we would literally have daily fit classes with Sheikh Khatri mm. there, uh, and then that was that was for me that was it. Like you know, this is just literally just you know a few months, you know, four or five months after I'm Muslim, here comes a more a Mauritanian scholar. Giving you pure religion, you don't have to filter it. You know that this is the real deal. First time he's ever left the desert, you know, to 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 come here. To the extent they took him through a drive-through once, and he got freaked out about the voice, like the voice that was that was talking. He was right. like, "Where is the person?" He's like looking around. That's how Bedouin. Yeah, yeah, that's how oh, better it wow. was. So right. we would be there in that apartment uh, every day, and then you know, in September, I believe it was also, or maybe shortly after. Uh, Yahya returns from college okay. Sheikh Yahya, who's known as Sheikh Yahya Rodas now uh, He and Osama were, were very close friends growing up okay. uh, I didn't know Yahya uh, I met him the night before he took his shahada They, they came to my house And I had a dinner uh, a dinner for them And the next day Osama took him to, to the MCA uh, To take his shahada Sheikh Khatri happened to be at This is actually the day of the arrival of Sheikh Khatri mm. They take him to the MCA and the first thing he witnesses when he comes to America is the Shahada. And mm-hmm. they said he was in tears mm-hmm. because he's Mauritanian. He's never seen a Shahada.
4: Right. He's
2: read about it. He knows about it. That's but he's nice. never seen somebody embrace the faith.
4: Yeah.
2: So uh, he takes Yahya under his wing and tells him, no, you can come back and you can study with me. You know. And so Yahya, the next day after he takes a Shahada, says, I met this Mauritanian sage, man. He said, I can go study with him. He said, come with me. I'm going to breakfast at Tarif al-Arabi's house. Mm. Uh, he said, I'm going to breakfast at Tarif's house. And he's going to be there. Come meet him. So I was like, cool. I went there, had breakfast, met him. Tarif was translating for us. And I just said to him, I said, Sheikh, I never met anybody like you. Mm. Uh, I want to really do this religion, right? I would love to study with you. And he said, you're welcome. You'll come back with me. Wow. And so I went. Literally, it was it was the next May that I left to Mauritania. Right. Uh, and it was still very new then. Now, I knew... Th- Three two or three words I think. I knew Inarment. yeah. I, I knew the alphabet, but that was it. I knew uh khubs, uh Matt and Tom. That was it. So I knew how to say food, water and bread. Right. Like, that's my survival skills in the desert. This is all I need. I'll be good. <laughs> Bathroom, you're out of luck. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and so so I knew that I knew those words and so uh he said you can come back with me. When I go back. Yahya was still finishing up stuff for school, so he yeah. came about four months later. Okay. But when I went there, uh, I was the first American convert to go to Mauritania after Sheikh Hamza. Uh Mutnis uh, was there okay. studying at the time when I got there.
3: Nice.
2: Uh, and he was already doing well. He was advanced, he was studying Muqtas Khalil at that mm. time, but he was up at Marabta Hajj's village and I was in Gero, mm. Mauritania, where Sheik Hhatri lived. It was like a National Geographic film. If I walked outside on the streets, like if I walked anywhere, literally, I kid you not, there was like fifty to hundred people walking behind me in a crowd. Just like, what the heck is that? And they would call me Christian. They huh. would say they would call me Nasrani ah. because I didn't speak Arabic and right. my skin is like complected And so they would say, "Does he speak Arabic?" And I'd, I'd say, "No." Does he speak French? No. And then they would always ask, like, "Well, is he like stupid? Like, does he <laughs> does he not? Is right, he not educated?" For a lot of these people, I mean,
3: even the concept of a of a Jewish person or a Christian is like theoretical almost yeah yeah
2: yeah so right. they get to see a Christian I mean they have the French that come oh, there oh right okay. they, so have the, they have there, the French that come okay. there but it was a strange thing for them that he's a Muslim and, and doesn't speak study,
3: Arabic and doesn't speak and Arabic, doesn't speak Arabic.
2: Right. so they're like right. how is he how is he yeah. Muslim
4: right
2: it was frustrating oh. for me because I would like be about to eat and there'd be like a five year old or six year old kid that would be there next to me and say Bismillah say Bismillah and I'm like I'm not dumb I know I just don't speak Arabic I know to say Bismillah it was like really frustrating for me I'm a grown man at this point you know mm. and I got these little kids it was a really, really? big ego ego yeah, yeah, uh, for yeah. Sure. Yeah. more mm. was hard okay I would I would not stretch the truth and say that it was easy it was are, are, are very, you, very Are different.
3: you married at this point?
2: Uh, okay, I got married know. literally five days before I left to Mauritania okay. with Sh- uh, Sheikh Khatri. Okay. Five days before I left and I go to Mauritania. Right. Uh, and so Sheikh Hatri was building a room on his house at that time for my wife and I to stay in. Okay. And so he was literally, he was very, very right. serious about us coming to stay with him and live with him. Right. And he, we walked through the house that was being built. He said, this is going to be a room. You and your wife will right. stay here. Um, but so, at, just, just really, so you,
3: you your wife is, lives here. You you, you meet her yep. through some people you know. Yeah, her her, her her, her she's, a, she's a born Muslim, born Muslim. Friend. Yeah, from
2: Somalia. Yeah. Her and her brother and I were, were friends. Okay, and so then I asked her, and then we ended up getting married. Then I left. Great. Okay. Three days in Mauritania. If I would have had a satchel filled with a million dollars, I would have given it to anybody to fly me out of there.
4: Hmm.
2: It was difficult. I had never been alone. Yeah, and. I'm in Mauritania now, 23 years old. Uh, some of the stuff that drugs used to suppress starts to surface. I don't have anything. I don't have TV. I don't have radio. I brought only two books with me. I read them both the first three days. <laughs> I only had two books with me, and I, I have. No, I can't talk to anyone. No one there speaks English. Not a word of English. They speak French and Arabic. I don't speak either of those, so I'm by myself. I wrote in my journal, and I'll show it to you sometime. I wrote in my journal. That if it was possible for me to get up and run across the room and knock myself out on the wall just to fall unconscious so I could stop thinking, I would have done it. I would have done it because it's, my, noise, my, it's just, just noise of me. Yeah, I'm yeah, in my yeah. head. Starting I'm starting to, to surf. I was able oh, to suppress yeah, myself for a long time, yeah. but I'm starting to surface now, and I can't talk to anybody. So I'm just in my head yeah. the entire day. It was literally like solitary confinement. Like I was no. just, I was and,
3: just stuck. And especially for people like I think millennials or people listening to, I mean, uh, I mean, imagine a chunk of the audience listening. Just that idea of just being completely unplugged <laughs> is in the, like you, if this were to happen you know imagine what happened to you in the mid 90s if this was now it'd be a whole different story yeah you'd be able to plug into your phone you'd have your oh, iPhone no. with have you exactly there. so yeah. in how much has changed in 20 years so like I mean it's a completely
2: different I mean it's hardest the hardest thing I've ever done in my right. life Right. best thing for yeah me, right but the and hardest extremely thing the hardest hardest thing I've ever done in yeah. my life um, But I got immersed, you know, Mm -hmm. and after, you know, two, three weeks, I just realized I had to submit and i just got to become Bedouin in order to to do this. So I just did what they did. Showered when they showered, slept when they slept, and then read Quran when they were reading Quran. I was just, you know, trying to sign out the letters. I was writing on my wooden tablet, too, on my loa. Uh, and I was studying You know, Sheikh Khatri, a scholar of his caliber Would sit with me for hours every day And just go over Fatihah with mm. me Just literally, just so I could learn how to recite it properly You know, just go over different surahs with me And still to this day, subhanAllah 18 years later, the surahs that he taught me I recite them like him Like still to this day, that's because that's how I memorized it mm. and So I recite them like him um, Four months later, uh, yeah. Yahya comes okay. And I was a better one at that point because I remember he walked in at Maghreb time and my attitude was just kind of like, "Oh, what's up, dude?"
4: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> to this day, he still brings it up because that was the coldest welcome <laughs> I've ever gotten from you. Uh, he comes, right, uh, and then you know everything changes for me mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, he brings letters from my wife. Um, he you brings self I was by right. myself in Mauritania. Yeah.
4: And oh, then you, you said that, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I left right, yeah, 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 so yeah, he
2: yeah. brings letters for me. Mm. Uh, I start to remember what I left. And this takes me out of where I was. Like the state that I was in, it brings me back into that, to my old state again. And I wanted to leave then at that point Mm. i was fine Mm. i'm not blaming yahya (laughs) just for people listening i'm not blaming Sheikh yahya i asked him to bring (laughs) the letters you know and then we went out to marapta Hajj's village when yahya came i wanted to wait for yahya okay so i didn't go out there until Mm -hmm. yahya came before he came i got really sick uh they think i had malaria uh i was like deathly ill like they were hand feeding me uh i was in bed for literally like two or three weeks and like they they were like literally like hand feeding me they were like washing me and stuff but i was i was really really sick I didn't think I was going to die I didn't feel like that But when Sheikh Abdullah uh, Muraf al-Hajj's grandson Came down and, and I met him for the first time He actually went back And got mutnas. This is the first time I met Mutnas, He got Mutnis And told Mutness To come back to Gero Because your friend's dying And so that's why mutnas came And so I met I met with mutnas then And then He had, uh, had to go back to his studies And so when Yahya came We went out to Tuamrat I stayed there a week That was it I couldn't do any more wow. I couldn't do any more It was so hot there in such a harsh environment, people like Yahya and Mutnis and, and, and Sheikh Hamza and, and these other people that went out there and stayed there for years, right. Allah bless them. Like they are, they, these are these are men. <laughs> these are I couldn't hang. It literally felt like I was someone opened up an oven and stuck me inside, and then put a fan on full blast and was just throwing sand at me. Like wow. it was really really difficult for me. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it. Uh, Yahya struggled that first time too, and we left and we went to, we went to a phone and we called Sheikh Hamza because that was when the first Dean Intensive was happening in Nottingham, England. Okay. And so we said, you know, we want to leave and go to the Dean Intensive and then study a little bit and then, and then, and then come back here. So Sheikh Hamza said, that's fine. You know, you can, you can come. We went, went to the Dean Intensive, uh, and then from there came back home. I ended up going to Syria. Yahya went to Syria. He went back to Mauritania. I've never been back since. Mm. I want to go back though i have to go because that's 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 the beginning that's right that's the beginning right you know? there. so you're in syria um pursuing other studies studying Imagine. at arabic at damascus yeah. university okay. Okay. uh stay there for a year right. uh went to sudan for a few months is imam zaid there at the time imam zaid is there okay. and imam zaid mashallah allah bless him yeah. yeah imam zaid today in 2014 is the same imam zaid that i yes. met back in 1998 absolutely hmm. uh he picked me up from the airport and took me around the city. Showed me how to get around. He literally must have spent eight, ten hours with me that day. Mm. Uh, and I didn't never, I didn't know who he was. Damascus, Damascus. this isn't Damascus, yeah. yeah. And he became whenever there was trouble or issues, the guy who was there, Johnny on the spot, always had time for you. Mm. Always, always had time Beautiful. for you. But again, here's that that prophetic character that that's impacted me still to this day. Like, when I think about Syria, there's no way I would have been able to do Syria without Imam Zaid. Mm. Uh, I met Sheikh Jihad Brown there. Okay. Uh, Imam Dawud Yassin was was, Yassin was still studying his Arabic program. Imam Zaid was still in the last year of his Arabic program when yeah. I got there. Right. Um, Ibrahim Osiafa was there. Okay. Sheikh Abdul Karim Yahya was there. Sheikh Mohammed Mendez uh, was there at the time, too. Uh, and so that became our, our core group, nice. you know. And we kind of followed each other. Wherever he sort of went around the world uh, studying from that point. So how long were you in Syria then? Syria was about a year, a little bit over a year. Okay. And then from there, and you then I went to and then Sudan for a few months. And then I went to Morocco, and I was in Morocco for about six months. You overlapped with Osama. Uh, I came Morocco? Morocco. Osama was in Morocco first. I came for his wedding. Okay. And then I stayed. Right. Uh, and then he had, he he came back home. Right. And then from from Morocco, I came back home for a little bit, and then that's when we went to Yemen and then that, I had my family with me so okay. in Syria and all these other places yeah, my family yeah, as soon as I was the my y- family, kids family, then, family. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, my daughter was born in Yemen uh, and then we went from Yemen we were there in Yemen about five years Hadramout, Hadramout, yeah. in Tarim yeah. studied at Dar al-Mustafa yeah. I, first I studied at Badr Institute for, okay. for language for Arabic right. and then I went to Dar al-Mustafa uh, and that's then that's to be
3: my friend Omar right yep
2: yeah, exactly right. And then, uh, while I was studying in Al Mustafa, Habib Ali asked me... Habib Ali Jeffrey asked me to help him with some media things he was doing in Abu Dhabi. Okay. And so that's when I moved to Abu Dhabi, and I started working for the Topa Foundation. And I was there about four and a half years. And then we returned to the United States in 2008, oh. and we've been here since.
3: So, I mean, we could literally spend the entire episode of think just talking about your, like, your travels. But no. I, 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 one of the things I, I really want to get to also is because you've talked about this and you've shared this in, uh, you know, your own sort of Talib testimonials, Mm -hmm. and we'll get into Talib a little bit later as well, is the struggle that you have, um, you know, again, post-conversion, post-study of Islam, now to go back and say, you know what, embrace the fact that you always had this artistic drive Mm -hmm. and to feel that somehow that your conversion had initially suppressed it. Mm. Um, and why you felt that way, and yeah. what was it that got you to, you know, again, yeah. unleash that sort of creative energy again?
2: Great. So I, I come from a family of artists. Okay. My father is a is a singer, and that's actually how he met my mom. This is performing on the road. He, my mother, <coughs> my mother's a painter, uh, and so the arts have always been instilled in us as as young children. I grew up playing piano and and. I picked up photography at the age of 13 and actually ended up going to a specialized high school for the arts. And so mm. I, my goal was always to be a, a musician and a photographer. That's what I thought. So I, your initial passion. That was my initial yeah. passions. yeah. Um, the The filmmaking part didn't come in until later in high school when my father bought a video store. Uh, and so I literally Instead of doing homework Would just watch like Three or four movies a night And then I realized VHS, VH, VHS Exactly <laughs> VHS uh, so, re- You had to You had to spend like Five minutes rewinding That's what I'm saying You so had to be start, kind and rewind <laughs> Before yeah. you start watching it Yeah <laughs> um, But I remember watching the films And thinking You know this is so many arts in one mm. Like you know you can write Because I wanted to be a writer as well mm. That was my initial passion I wanted to be a photojournalist I wanted to write and take photos mm. And piano was just sort of like my my stress my stress release uh, And so I would watch those films And I would think this is writing This is photography This is cinematography There's music in it This is all the arts combined I, I think I might want to make films one day mm. uh, And I didn't at that time But it, that that came later um, were you watching these movies kind of from a critical? I, was eye, t- I had notebooks was and I was taking okay. notes. Okay, yeah. so was that kind of? Yeah, yeah it wasn't just yeah. the avid moviegoer. No, no, no. And I was watching films that I wasn't interested in. Just so to any see particular how particular
3: filmmakers, yeah, how, I mean, the, right. how, how they were. We'd done. Both be kind of. In that, like, uh, I
2: was stuck. I think like a lot of kids in that time, mm-hmm. I was I was stuck on on Coppola, on Brian De Palma. I was watching a lot of Godfather, a lot of a lot of gangster films, uh, on on Lucas, on Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that group of people, which is yeah. interesting, who were in film school together, right, right, right? they're yeah. all in film Not school far at the same time. Yeah. Some of them are at Tisch School of right. Arts in New York. Some of them are at USC, mm-hmm. and then they all kind of graduate, and then they become the pioneers that really, you know, for all intents and purposes, have created modern cinema yeah. for us today. Right, you right. know,
3: they defined a generation. They define it, uh, they right?
2: it. yeah. The, yeah. The, you know, and so those were like the guys that I was kind of looking mm-hmm. at. I wasn't really into independent films at that mm-hmm. time, and so the documentary stuff came 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 much came much later uh so that was my my upbringing Mm -hmm. i was always around the arts and then i converted Mm -hmm. and you know like a lot of people that convert you know you're given a very extensive list of the things that you're no longer allowed to do and art was one of those things Uh, i was told that photography was impermissible um that music was was impermissible Uh, i broke my piano i broke my cameras i smashed all my cds I spent a lot of money on CDs over the year, by the way. Because I would smash them and I'd buy them back, and then I'd feel bad, and then I'd smash them again, and I'd buy them back, <laughs> man. I've spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on CDs right. because of my conversion. And now like, why <laughs> did I spend so much money on the CDs? i like, why did I, I should have just waited and downloaded it. Yeah, that's
3: right. <laughs> and then you could delete them off your hard drive and get them back. And,
2: yeah. uh, but I was serious, man. Like, yeah. when I converted, wow. you know, I'm coming from a pretty, you know, you not not even unique, just a pretty tremendous background, right. you know. And so my conversion is serious for me. It's mm-hmm. not it's not a fad. It's like this is this is the last bus stop. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no more bus stops after this. Islam has to work for me. Mm-hmm. And so when they told me that music was haram, that art was haram, I took it serious. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that I had to do it, but then I was also taught at the same time you don't have to like. What you do. You just have to do it. And that's what a Muslim is. You give up what you have to give up. You don't drink, you don't do drugs, you don't have a girlfriend, uh, all of that stuff. You just you quit it right away. Yeah. Uh and so I did. I left it. And I left it for a number of years. For a number of years. Right. But I never filled there's that void was always there. Mm. I never filled it. Uh and it wasn't until I was in my studies in Dara Mustafa and I and I saw pic, pictures of my teachers and stuff on the walls and like here's the people I'm learning Fiqh from there must be differences of opinion, you know. And so then I start studying it and I start to realize, sure enough, yeah. there are differences. I wasn't taught that there were differences, right, you know. Yeah. So I just, I ran with it. And it's very similar, you know, to the, yeah. you know, in the films and stuff that I do. Jordan Richter's story, the way we're the Jordan Richter story, it's, it's, in many ways, my story. Mm-hmm. You know, he gave up something that he loved and finds out later that he can come That's... back to it. I obviously didn't lose as much as, as Jordan lost yeah. in, in
1: his story. It almost part. like you needed that gap. Yeah, and I've talked to my teachers
2: about it, too, you know, angrily. You know, what I lost so much, right. and get, if I had been so much further ahead, and you know, it was one of my teachers who said, "No, had you not given it up, you would have continued to do it for the wrong reasons. Now you can re- revisit it for the right reasons, right?" Yes. And that's why a lot of my art is is Islamically themed. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not as a, something that I feel is necessary. It's just me creating art from within me, and Islam is infused in me, so that's going to come out. Yeah. In, it's going to come out in my in my art. So it was. It was in Tareem when I found out that art was okay, right. and not only that, it was my teachers in Tareem that sent me to film school. They paid for my film school.
4: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, they, they're the ones that sent me to New York Film Academy. You know, to, they said we see an inclination in the arts for you. You know, we're gonna we're gonna push mm-hmm. you in this. And then my first years after graduating uh, was spent serving serving them and and right. the, the mission. And you know, and still I hope you know to some extent I am you know still serving them even if it's if it's indirectly. Uh, but now I'm just creating art for me, you know, the art that's right. that's 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 within me, and it just happens to be Islamically themed. So it was several years before I got back into the arts, and I was bitter for a while yeah. about having having lost it. But now, like like Zachary said, I do consider it now a very necessary phase. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think I could have kept it uh, and stayed grounded had I not left it for you know, and then come back for the right reasons. Wow, remarkable.
3: Uh, so then now you're back, and then. Um Let's see. So th- that's sort of the genesis of, or the, some of the work you're doing in, in in Dubai, the genesis of like Mustafa, like Mustafa Davis Productions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right?
1: we're 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 so. I feel like we've gotten such a rich backstory. <laughs> yeah. I, we I know we wanted to yeah. spend more time talking about your artistic endeavors. Yeah, but, exactly. But you know what? This this gives us a chance to, inshallah, get you back. But well, but, Masala, Masala. but with the time that we have left, I mean, can can you talk about some of the projects that you're working on right now and that. Uh, Sure. Coming up, yeah. too. Sure. sure.
3: or, or and, and while you do that, or as you do that, do weave in Talif. We, we, so we've we gotten the Talif story, so from Osama's angle, and yeah. I'd love to, like Zaki said, have you back yeah. and talk about it from your point I, of view. I think we're going to have to. Yeah, 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 exactly. I know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, sort of weave in the work that you're doing here, and, and I think most of, I would imagine that the vast majority of our listeners know about the work Talif is doing, mm-hmm. so that goes
2: without saying. Yeah. So, uh, Tatlif, and I'll just be candid and very honest about this, you know, I'm, I'm listed as a co-founder of Tatlif, but really this is Usama Cannon's thing, you know, he, he, he was on the ground here, you know, rooted in the trenches when we were all still overseas drinking tea, you know, he was here doing the real work, and, and this is sort of the, the, his baby, that kind of formulated from the auspices of, of Zaytuna, and then, and then Zawiya and then it became Tatlif, uh, and then when I came back, he asked if I could help him, and I said yes. You know, And he's just generous. He's a very generous man. So he said, I'm going to list you as, as as co-founder. But really, I, I didn't have much to do with the inception of right. of, of, of Tatlif. Uh, and so the work that I'm doing now for Tatlif, my, my media work, uh, I wouldn't necessarily th- say that I do it for Tatlif, because it's really the work that I would do if I was just doing it myself. Yeah. Like, there's not like a group of people that are like you have to create this or you have to create this I still have a lot of freedom in, in terms of like articulating my artist my art you know through 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 media and so these projects that I'm doing like Wayward Son the Jordan Richter story which is a story about a, a professional skateboarder converts to Islam is told that skateboarding is impermissible leaves it and then finds that it's that it's okay to do it 15 years later but now he's 37 years old Mm -hmm. lost those youth years his peers are people like tony hawk christian hasoi mark gonzalez all multi-millionaires uh so he lost a lot and that's why i said that story is my story in some regards because i Mm -hmm. left what i love too but i didn't lose on that that. scale i didn't lose on that Mm -hmm. on that scale right uh i i did a film for tat leaf called prison blues which is about uh, just to be honest, the unfair incarceration rate of, of, of minorities in the United States, uh, and in particular with this film with the Muslim uh, population mm-hmm. inside, and how people find Islam and how they convert, and then uh, more so than just that, but how they acclimate to, to the general society when they come out and kind of what they're going through what they're going through there. Uh, we just finished Goody's story, which mm-hmm. is a story about a Mexican-American convert to Islam, Uh, It's not actually about his conversion. It's about his estranged relationship with his father coming from a a broken home. And that's sort of like my style, I think, in in the art. And what I try to do is I try to tell human stories. I don't necessarily enjoy doing topical films. So I'm not out thinking like, I need to do a film about American Islam or I need to do a film about immigrants. I need to do a film about jihad or hijab or, you know... Uh, halal versus haram. I, I usually just find those human stories that right. I connect with and then that's the story that I want to tell. So right. even Prison Blues even those, those things those, get are, touched those on. are those are themes in it. Right. It's yeah. really about Rafi the right. Peterson, the person. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's really about Amir the the, the person. Mm-hmm. Who are they? What are their hopes and dreams, triumphs, struggles, desires, you know, issues that they're going through. And I try to do that and I think as a as a filmmaker who is Muslim. Now, I say that on purpose. I never say Muslim filmmaker. I say as a filmmaker who is Muslim. And the reason I make that distinction is that I was an artist before I converted to Islam. I would have probably been doing art had I not been a Muslim. Uh, Islam, and this might be contentious for some people, Islam isn't the only thing that defines me. Mm. I'm Mustafa Davis, but I'm also Brian Davis. I'm also a son, a father, a friend, a musician, an artist. I'm a lot of things and I might be more of one of those things on any given day. Right. Islam is my foundation. Right? right? And not only in my foundation but it's my roof over my head too. So True. it's the filter which things come to me with mm-hmm. and it's the foundation upon which I, which I stand on. Yeah. And the reason that I'm saying that is that I think in the Muslim arts we're still stuck yeah. with this. Muslim filmmaker means you make only films that are about Islam. I don't believe in that. I, I think we run into the issue of I have a philosophy yeah. of, of why... Uh, We can create Mediocre art And that it still gets Praised abundantly Mm. Uh, Mediocre is me being Being very (laughs) Generous (laughs) Generous It's the month of Ramadan (laughs) Allahumma (laughs) in Nisaim That's right (laughs) Um, But I think that It's possible that Because if the art itself Like for example Take like calligraphy And if someone does like a uh, um, A painting Or or, a calligraphy piece Of the Jalala Right So it's Allah Yeah it's going to be difficult to say that's bad, oh. right? Because I think intrinsically we're thinking like maybe we're critiquing God himself right. or if there's like a film about the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Right. Even if it's horrible, I don't think Muslims are going to say it's horrible. Yeah. That's one. And then two, I think we just don't have enough artists creating okay. good media that anytime we see anything on screen, that's on right. paper, on radio, whatever, that's Muslim. Yes, we're, we're excited about it. Right. But we're, we're still a bit, yeah. we're, we're a bit away, I think, from where we need to be. Yeah.
3: No, I mean, it, to me it's not, like, unlike when we had, like, remember, like, I, I remember right after 9-11 when we had so many people appearing on the media, it, it, in the beginning I remember it was just kind of like, at least it's good to have a Muslim voice on there, yeah. no matter how, if it was this guy with this serious accent or someone who couldn't <laughs> articulate very clearly or properly, but I think we've matured yeah. as a community because no, no, no. now we've had this sort of, you know, for the last, what, 12 years being kind of center stage as it were. Um, and so hopefully with art that'll, Or with the artist it'll be the same way
2: Inshallah I think that we're not going to really penetrate The mainstream with our media Until we just start telling good stories that's right. As a Muslim I made a film called The Warm Heart of Africa uh, That's about Christian HIV AIDS orphans in Malawi yeah. And there's been some contention About this film in blogs And things about me online That you know, why would a Muslim make a film With a Christian hero about Christian orphans and my answer is always because you obviously wouldn't make that film. <laughs> and the, ironically, the, the reason this film came about is I was having a conversation with my father, and he said to me one day, "He said, so you believe that Muslims have the last religion to come to mankind?" And I said, "Yes, this, this is what I believe." And he said, "You know, I'll believe that yeah. when I see Muslims caring about people other than themselves." Wow. And literally two weeks later, I was in Malawi purposely shooting a film about Christian orphans to show my father that yeah. we do that mm, we do care. Yeah.
1: You know, right. so
2: I make that dis- I make that distinction. That's right. Uh, I don't know what's coming next for me in terms of art but I feel internally something bigger something bigger is coming uh, which probably means something that's going to ruffle some Muslims feathers nice. you know inshallah uh, something that's going to push the envelope yeah, uh, yeah. push the envelope a little bit but I feel like now I'm at the point in my career you know I've been doing this you know 15 years now I feel like I'm at the point in the career where I can start
4: yeah
2: where I can I can start to be a filmmaker now like, I feel like the other things I've done, people have liked some of it. You know, it's, it's not stuff that's going to win at Sundance or it's not. People in Hollywood aren't calling me, begging me to direct their films. I feel like now I've got enough experience where I can start to tell those that's stories. True. I'm a bit older now. I'm 41, you know, so I have a little bit more life experience to put into the that's to true. put into the films. So I feel like something's coming. I'm not sure if it's going to be a film about Islam or even Islamically themed, but I feel there's something brewing and I can I can feel it. And hopefully, inshallah, it's going to come out soon. Inshallah.
0: And there's our conversation with Mustafa Davis. As you can tell from where we left it, there's obviously a lot more that he has to say. So all that means is that we're absolutely going to have him back on. You can count on that inshallah. But that wraps up this episode of the diffuse congruence podcast. And again, I want to offer my apologies for kind of a, a helter skelter release schedule, but I assure you we're going to do everything we can to get back on track. And on behalf of, Parvez and myself, I want to thank you once again for taking the time to listen to the show, for sending in your comments, for everything you're doing to let us know how we're doing, because this show is about your reactions to it. So we want to make sure it is getting the best reaction possible. That being said, please do hit us up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Diffuse Congruence. The show is also available via Stitcher Radio and also via iTunes. Please write us a review. Let us know how we're doing. You can also send emails to diffusecongruence at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and hopefully, you will look forward to hearing from us when we are back with our next episode very shortly, inshallah. And uh, again, let me say on behalf of Pervez, Ramadan Mubarak, and Eid Mubarak, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening.